Okay. And we are. Uh, cool. We're good. Okay. All right. I am here with JG Thurlwell, uh, hot off his brand new record, Oslo with Simon Steenland or St Simon Steensland. Is that right? Yeah. Simon Steensland. Um, and off the uh, unfortunate cancellation of uh, Adult Swim's Venture Brothers, uh, which, which he composed the score for, and the new season of Archer, which uh, he also does the music for, mm -hmm. among plenty and plenty of other things. Mm -hmm. um, so my first question right off the bat is, uh, so last night I listened to your interview with uh, David Harrington of the Kronos Quartet uh, that you did for okay. the Talk House a number of years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and you guys talked about Eureka moments, which I found interesting. Uh, so okay. I'm wondering if you've had any recent Eureka moments uh, with music or with art, film, whatever. Uh, I can't remember what Eureka moments were. Were they just like a revelation? I guess you, got, you guys were basically saying that um, like music, uh, David was saying this specifically, uh, but music often uh, reveals itself more in moments rather than entire pieces, right? So, uh, and, then, and then you came to these things where you'll hear these songs and you'll have these moments during them or, or records that you'll listen to and be like... Wow, this is uh, something I always wanted to hear that I never heard. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I get them quite often. Sometimes I get them, and I don't. I don't really like the whole. I'm not. I'm. I. You know, I, I have several ways of consuming music. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't necessarily. You know, it doesn't always involve. Um, uh, finding like uh like a it's an aesthetic pleasure from the music sometimes it's kind of out of curiosity to see how something is constructed um or what sounds there are or the you know the construction of the piece of music um like for example like I'll, i sometimes i'll listen to i'm driving and i'll i'll put on like a commercial radio station like yeah. you know, new york's old station and i'll hear a lot of the, that music is really i think kind of horrible <laughs> yeah. where each instrument is compressed and the compression that the whole um you know radio station goes through really makes it feel like you're being sold you know um ham or something yeah. um and uh, and yeah, but but sometimes I'll hear something that is put into the construction, which I find interesting. Like you know, um, the way the there's a drop in the chorus, or there's a there's a something is turned around. So I don't necessarily like that music, but I'll hear something that's that's interesting in terms of the construction of it. But um, but yeah, I hear. But apart from but in terms of things that I actually like um, and that excite me. Um, I hear stuff like that all the time. Uh, I mean, I'm digging deep, you know, for new music that I want to hear all the time. Um, uh, um, you know, and I publish a playlist on Tumblr every month. Of yeah, stuff take a look at that. that. Yeah, and stuff that I've been listening to. Um, the last, you know, um, one of the most recent things that I bought was by this guy, John Elmquist, who I've been listening, you know, I've been listening to for a few years and he's a guy out of Chicago and he does, I mean, I think definitely his new album really felt like it was 
going down certainly one or two avenues that I've been exploring in the last, you know, for you know, eight or ten years or something like that with choral um, works. But he's right. he mixes it up um, in like a really interesting manner, and I think he's a really interesting artist. And um, I'm not, I don't know too much about him. I know, I know he's from Chicago. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, just before you called, I was listening to Dan Deacon's new soundtrack. Oh, yeah. from, Dan Deacon's awesome, yeah. Yeah, and he did a soundtrack to, I guess it's a film, from what I can tell, it's a film about um, dog grooming. Um, and yeah. uh, that was a really, that's, and so I expected something a bit more whimsical, but it wasn't, it was, it was really good. Um, so, um, yeah, I listen to new stuff all the time. Cool. Yeah, I know dog grooming. I think Laurie Anderson, I think, did something related to dog grooming not too long ago as well, which is kind of interesting. Well, this is extreme. This, from the looks of it, this is extreme dog grooming. Okay, yeah. yeah uh, like some Christopher Guest kind of stuff. Com competitive dog grooming and, you know, like uh, in multicolors. And, and okay. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I. I, I gorge myself on, you know, a lot of music and that's why I kind of publish a, pub, a playlist on Tumblr every month because it, it helps me keep up with what I've been digesting. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah. yeah, I do the same thing ever since uh, I got onto Spotify, which was begrudgingly, but it's kind of, you kind of have to do it now, it feels like. Uh, no, I don't do Spotify. You don't do Spotify? No. It's, 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 uh, it's so convenient, but it's uh, horrible for artists. And, uh, yeah, that's yeah. Fine. yeah, I don't do Spotify. Um, I, I, my, most of my discoveries are on, um, Bandcamp and, um, and, and YouTube as well. Yeah. YouTube's great for sure. Kind of chasing the sidebar. Yeah. But I don't, I, and yeah, I, I mean, I find Bandcamp's really good for, you know, fo following, following leads. Um, but um, uh, I don't and labels too, right? It's uh, it's it's much more yeah. difficult to kind of chase a label on uh, Spotify than it is. On yeah, there. yeah, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to really be sort of like go on a playlist where I'm listening to an algorithm. But um, yeah, for sure. There's one, you know, this that yeah, certainly for labels and a few of my favorite labels are on Bandcamp. One of them's Pan from Berlin. Oh yeah, Pan is incredible. Yeah. Uh, and um, and also there's a label from Lyon that I discovered. I discovered. I don't know how I discovered them on. But they're called Dur et Du, um, yeah. and they release a lot of really interesting kind of. I would say Zoil related rock. Um, there's a band called Poil P O I L, um, who they i think there are three or four pieces and it's very guitar oriented but very through composed um and another band called ni and i and um similarly um through composed kind of rock music but and then they combined and made a band called pineol which is a com combination of the letters in their name so th that's those are really interesting bands that i sent i sent a link of it to weasel walter and um and he, one thing that he pointed out was it sounded like those guys had a lot of um, uh, time to rehearse because they're really, um, they're really tight. You know? um, yeah. But yeah, that label has a lot of really interesting stuff on it. Um, 
and and that, and that kind of a that has a sort of an operatic kind of um, group called La Grand Spam S B A M, um, who are also very interesting. So yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Yeah. Uh, so I guess you mentioned like rehearsed music. Uh, I do you is there improvisational uh, stuff in in your recent work at all, or are you much more composed these days? No, I'm, I'm personally I'm I'm not really about improvising. Um, okay. I'm I'm more the about stuff doesn't sound particularly improvised either. It sounds very uh, meticulously composed. Uh, I would say. Yeah, I'm more of a. I mean, I understand. I listen to improvisation and I enjoy watching it live. Um, yeah. But um, it's not really, it's not really my field. Um, uh, sometimes there's, sometimes you know I'll improvise a melody while I'm composing and then I'll take it and I'll refine it you know um but um uh yeah i don't really take solos on so much on, on my works and it doesn't come from that place i usually before i start composing i have an idea in my head about what i want to do and um and i start from that point and then try and realize what's in my head right uh, and when when did you specifically start taking you do you write this is the real question do you write uh, like traditional scores for your music or or and and how when you're doing the scoring stuff I guess in particular how do you how does that how do you see it through I have no idea how that works to be honest like yeah I do I I create scores I generate scores when when the piece is done yeah I right. use I use the program in in Logic uh, which I, Logic is the platform that I use to um, record on. And, yeah, I was going to ask you uh, about DAWs later, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, that has a score generating program, so I can write in MIDI and then it generates nice. the score. Okay. It's, not, it's not a particularly elegant score program, so then um, I'll um, work mainly... Mainly lately, I've been working a lot with Simon Haynes and in both as a collaborator and then also when I come when I'm working on composed works once I've created it in logic often I'll work with him and we'll import it into Sibelius which is a scoring program and yeah. it's much more elegant and um and then be able to put in expression and, and things like that and page turns and it's just uh, they never really seem to update the scoring program in logic I don't think they put a lot of attention into it so there are things in that that are very flexible and very um easy to do but i don't sit down with a pen and paper and write okay music, um you know onto uh um onto a staff um that's not you know i'm not classically trained i'm not i, I didn't go to a conservatory yeah. so I, that's not the way that i write um uh yeah okay um so i'm gonna go to your new record Oslo spira um how did like so you've done a lot of collaborative records over the years and you've done a lot of totally solitary records over the years um just curious about how collaboration sort of rears its ugly head in that uh sometimes you got to seek someone out sometimes someone seeks you out etc cetera, etc cetera. so uh we'll, we'll start specifically with this most recent record and how you two got to working together and what the sort of sonic motivation for this record was i wrote down that i thought it sounded like a mix of uh ornette coleman's skies of america uh and robert fripp kind of somewhere in between those two mm -hmm. yeah um 
Well, um, I knew Simon Steensland's work for some years, and then um, I'd been spending a lot of time in Stockholm because I was doing a, um, a, residency, a residency at EMS, which is the electronic music studio, and working on, yeah. um, on modular synths there and just experimenting with them and making sounds and making recordings. And as a result of being in Stockholm, I kept running into people and like things would start to blossom out of that. And I met um, uh, Leif Jorgensen from the Great Learning Orchestra, uh, which is uh, an ensemble that is um, structured uh, around, it's, it's inspired by Cornelius Cardew's Scratch Orchestra which um, in which there are musicians who um, can, they're trained, they can read music and untrained musicians who can't read music and non-musicians and ever, you know, various abilities and similar to Portsmouth Symphonia. Well, actually I think Portsmouth Symphonia people swapped instruments, but um, so, um, so they work a lot from graphic scores and first they invited me to write some graphic scores, which I did. And then the next time I was in Stockholm, I, um, they, they had an exhibition of the scores and I got a chance to um, workshop with them and conduct the graphic scores that I'd written. Um, because there's, there's a lot of latitude with, with those scores. And there's, you know, generally, unless there's really specific instructions, there's a lot of interpretation that, you know, a graphic score can go in many different ways. So we did that. And then that led to them asking me to write a, a large scale piece, um, and which I proceeded to do. And then that, that combined contempt, uh, that com com combined, um, conventional score with improv, you know, guided improv, and um you know conduction and um and i think there was like one little piece of graphic score in that and uh and so yeah it was it was a multi you know and vocal parts it was a you know multi-tiered piece so um when i was looking at the um list of instrumentation that i had i saw simon's name was on there and i was so i was at the you know simon steen's land who you know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, yeah. And so I was um, psyched to meet Simon and we talked a little bit. And um, and so he played his monstrous bass on that piece, which is like, has about 18 strings on it um, and goes down to, you know, below the range of um, hearing into like bowel rumbling territory. Um, and uh, so he, he enjoyed what I'd written and, and asked if he could do a cover version of one of the movements of that piece, which he did and sent it to me. And, you know, I, I really liked what he had done. And of course I liked his work anyway, and he didn't know what to do with that. Um, he, he thought, well, I could put it up on YouTube or something. I said, no, well, let's, why don't we just expand it into an album? And so we proceeded to send files back and forth between Brooklyn and, um, and Stockholm. And that's kind of how it, it grew. I mean, I, I knew his work. He didn't know my work, um, which is fine. Um, and I feel like the need to 
carry my baggage around everywhere I go, but he yeah. knew what I had done with great learning orchestra. And that's, and I, I knew, you know, and I knew that there were things that I wanted to say in that kind of vocabulary of, of the album, you know, which is, you know, which I feel like touches on, you know, the, the best side of progressive rock and, yeah. and also Zoyle and, um, um, and through composition, just like, you know, and contemporary composition and, you know, just scored music and, you know, a lot of different things. So it's kind of, you know, and, you know, and, you know, throwing in cinematic elements, it's kind of, it's got a lot of things in the mix. Yeah, and, for sure. And, you know, I wanted to play up to um, Simon's strengths as well. And then when uh, and Simon brought in Morgan Agron on drums and I was very excited to have him on the record because I knew his work as well. And um, he and Morgan brought a real lot to the, to the pieces. Cool. Yeah, it's a great record. Uh, it's uh, it's it's a, this excellent synthesis of of uh, lots of different sounds, but very cohesive, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. But certainly cinematic. I'd, I'd say that that's definitely true. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, I guess we already talked about Dawes. Uh, I have a completely different question. Uh, something I've been thinking about a lot recently is um, the the nature of of sampling and plagiarism, and all of that in uh, in, in music and in, in the broader context. Uh, and if you have any strong feelings about about such, uh, uh, where does it draw the line, etc. Because I've been I'm in I'm in college right now, and I've been debating with uh, an art teacher who is very anti-plagiarism. And then I just I'm, I'm sending him Public Enemy records, being like, well, what about this? You know. Mm -hmm. Well, the way the Public Enemy sample is, you know, there, there's a lot of layering on what they do, and there's a lot of disparate sounds and they create, you know, so, so on the, in the, um, you know, the nineties public enemy, I mean, I haven't, I, I think that their latest stuff isn't so sample heavy. Um, no. but in the classic bomb squad, um, yeah. productions, um, there's a lot of stuff going on and you can't necessarily unpack, um, everything, um, but what's what's interesting about that is there's a there's a group called Brownout that recently made an album. Um, first, of, I first became aware of them because I heard them on a on a radio show on WFUV on Saturday nights. There's this yeah. guy that does that plays sort of um, funky stuff, and he played a version of them cover doing this um, big band version of Black Sabbath. And I thought it was amazing, and I looked them up, and they'd done two two volumes of Black Sabbath covers, yeah. and one volume which is called "Fear of a Brown Planet," and it's um, it's they they did arrangements of the classic Public Enemy tracks um, for their big band. And what's interesting about it is then it's not that interesting, you know, it's, yeah, it's actual, yeah. it actually takes out a lot of the excitement and a lot of the weird sounds and it harkens back to whatever their, the original um, sample was, yeah, yeah. which was maybe taken from, you know, a, a funk record or some of it from the seventies or something. And so it's sort of just stripped back to that where, and it doesn't have the dissonance 
that that was going on in in those productions. So it actually makes it less interesting. Um, although their versions of the Black Sabbath stuff is great, but but um, so that's that's one approach to sampling. I mean, I don't hear. I mean, to be honest, I don't hear a lot of you know people doing sampling these days. Or I'm if people are doing it. I'm not aware. You know, I'm not aware of how people are using that. Um, yeah, outside of hip hop, I don't. I don't know how particularly yeah, yeah. trendy it is. Then there's a lot of then, of course, like in you know in uh 80s and 90s there was a lot of sampling where people would take two bars of a song and loop it and then that was a hit like and the the, the puff yeah. daddy type style of sampling which is basically taking a police song or a rod stewart song or something yeah. looping yeah. that and then that's that's the song yeah um that is of course not interesting to me at all and even jay dilla right. was doing stuff like that you know and and there's been a lawsuit against jay dilla recently about this 10cc song that he co that he co-opted um the song worst band in the world and when i first heard that jay dilla song i was like okay he's taken this he he's basically sampled a bunch of it and put it back together again but he didn't really put much else into it yeah but it was a great song to start with and so what he ended up with was great and so people thought that that was a great Jay Dilla track without knowing that the track was great to start with. And I don't think he added a lot to that. Um, the, the first, the, the last person I heard that was really taking the vocabulary of sampling forward was Ammon Tobin. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And I really feel like his, he, he took the, he turned it on its head. Oh yeah. You know? He, he truly flips, you know, truly flips records. Uh, yeah. And he makes him, you know, I, when I first listened to his stuff, I didn't know how he did it. I didn't know what he was doing. And that's come, this is coming from someone who's done a bit of sampling in his day. And, um, he, and that was really exciting to me. And, um, there were, you know, the, obviously you could tell some things, but he, he, he would take micro sections, he would drench bits in reverb and put them forward and back. And, and um, yeah, he, he was a real, you know, artist in, in the world of sampling. Um, but, and I, you know, I still use samples, but I wouldn't say they're always, you know, necessarily the backbone of what I'm doing, you know. Um, yeah. Sometimes they're, they're kind of more the icing on the cake, you know. Um, but I use it in a lot of different ways, you know, but I'm not sure what, I mean, what people are doing in the world of sampling now, to be honest. Yeah. Well, there's the whole vaporwave thing. I don't know if you. Oh, yeah. 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 And the 10 tricks point never and that kind of stuff. The sort of second genesis of plunder phonics, if you will. Yeah. I mean, which I don't really know if plunder phonics is. Do you a, ever use you know. sampling a lot? Hmm? Do you, do you think one or tricks point never uses sampling a lot? I, I know he does. Yeah. Mm, mm, yeah. Okay. I'm not on his uh, last two records. I don't think, I think that he probably couldn't get away with uh, some of the stuff he was doing. I know he takes a lot of stuff from YouTube is what I've read. From, yeah. 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 Two, uh, records, right. Well, the vapor wave stuff. And yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, there's the vapor wave and I guess, um, which I guess would, would fall, fall into the, um, category of hauntology which is i guess a, a i don't know where that phrase came from i think it was made up by the wire or something okay uh, i don't know uh, what that means 
hauntology. I think hauntology is, from what I understand, it's it's kind of like it's like vaporwave, where you know you have this half remembered melody that sort of evokes something that um, you know. Was that in reference to James Ferrero's uh, Far Side Virtual? I think they gave that the best album of the year, like a decade ago. Yeah, I'm not sure what I'm not sure what okay. they talk about with hauntology, but it seems to be. I mean. When a, when vaporwave came along, a, you know, vaporwave to me sounds a bit like, um, you know, like the, like uh, like the music being played in an empty um, shopping mall, um, yeah. recorded from the other end of the, you know, like um, recorded from the other end of the uh, building, um, and yeah, and there's bits bits of that that are okay, and I think. There's this guy, the caretaker. I mean, do you know his oh, stuff? I, I love the caretaker. Yeah, he's a he's a pretty important fellow these days. It seems like. But to me, his stuff is just like sampling it, sampling something, and looping it, and putting some reverb on it. It's not interesting to me, you know. Okay, yeah, I just I think it just sounds good, uh, but uh, it is clearly something not uh, labored over. I, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I, to to me, I don't think there's enough um, new content. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he does that anymore. To be clear, I think his new records okay. are uh, wholly original music, but uh, I can't say that for a fact. But um, <clears throat> but in terms of plagiarism, um, and like know, appropriation, I should say as well, like you know, the kind of lines between those well, two. Okay, there's a pro. I mean, just getting away from appropriation and plagiarism, but just to, I mean, most culture is built on something that came before you know yes uh, you know so. you're, not, you're not really trying to you know i mean a lot of a lot of it is not trying to invent reinvent the wheel you know of course there are people who want to start from ground zero and you know you can think of say harry parch building instruments or Bertoia, yeah. you know building sculptures and you know things like that um but there is a lot of building on on what's happened before and as much as i you know like um have been motivated by trying to create something that is new and fresh and furthers my musical vocabulary every time um i can't help but have like uh, a lot of cultural detritus in my in me and like yeah you know, dozens, dozens of years of um, culture in my DNA that is somehow embedded there and is going to come out of my pores somehow, whether as whether I like it or not. You know? Yeah, I do think too, like you know, the whole like ten thousand hours mastery concept, which I think is is kind of BS. But uh, I do think some of that, some of oh, those ten thousand hours, are uh, listening and consuming. You know, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah, it could be. Um, Outside of uh, virtu virtuosity, I I found I I found I hit the ten thousand hour thing with um, with composing score with scoring. Oh yeah, uh, I did, you know when I started scoring, it was it was much more laborious and um, more difficult to do, and I overwrote and you know I you know there, and then I hit a certain point where I got. I got both better and faster, and yeah. I felt that was my ten thousand hour mark. Um, and we, we, okay, I guess we could talk about the Venture Brothers, I suppose, uh, mm -hmm. if you'd like. Um, 
How, how did how did that start? Had you done any scores before? I had a hard time finding information on that. Uh, yeah, I'd done a bit of scoring. I did a did a lot, uh, Richard Kern's films in okay. the eighties, and um, uh, I'd done some bits and pieces for other people. Um, um, and uh, but uh, you know the way it came about was because I a lot of my music sounds cinematic, and yeah. the director of um, Adventure Brothers, the creator of Venture Brothers, Chris McCulloch, contacted me. And someone had turned him on to my Steroid Maximus project, right. and um, and uh, when he heard that, he felt that that encapsulated what he was trying to get across with the pilot of Venture Brothers. So they tracked me down and contacted me and said, "Was I interested in scoring it?" And um, we ended up they ended up licensing a bunch of steroid maximum stuff and i wrote some original score for that pilot and then that got picked up and then they came back to me again and said would you like to do this and um and i eventually said yeah and yeah we went on from there um and uh yeah we did so that was in 2003 we did seven seasons um and uh yeah, in 15 years it's pretty wild yeah 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 um i'm not 100 i'm not i, w I wouldn't 100 percent put the nail in the coffin yet on venture brothers doesn't seem like but, it from uh what i've seen on the web that it's uh totally dead in the water yeah i mean we'll see we'll see it's you know i mean i think that, that people want to see more of it i mean there's, there's a lot of you know politics involved in I'm sure happens with a show like yeah, that. Um, big uh, uh, yeah, it, it, um, it, um, doing that volume of work. I mean that you know, and then event took no, it took ten years before I after that until I started doing Archer. Yeah. And, um, but um, you know, doing these works on you know such a great volume of work on Venture Brothers and Archer really changed my composing and changed my approach to things. Would you say it was changed it for the better? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It made me better. Yeah. Yeah. I watched, you started doing Archer in the seventh season. That's correct. Right. Yeah. I started on season seven. Okay. Yeah. We just, uh, we just finished season 11. There you go. Yeah. yeah I watched a couple episodes from season seven yesterday and, okay. uh, the notable change in music is definitely there. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I don't know. I guess we could call it there if you want. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I have. Actually, you know, I got one more question for you. Like, uh, I'm, I'm curious about uh, workflow and how that's changed for you throughout the years. Because uh, I know everybody works different. I, I interact with a lot of hip-hop guys, generally speaking. And... Mm -hmm. uh, there's a very specific way in which hip hop is often recorded. It's very spontaneous, uh, very, very fast moving, generally speaking. There's a few people in hip hop who work slow and, and methodically like Kanye West. It's definitely one of the few grand perfectionists in hip hop, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> for better or for worse. Um, yeah. So yeah. What is it? What was, uh, what is your like process of, uh, creative process look like if there is a, a formal thing, do you have any habits? Do you have any philosophies? Um, well, I work on a lot of different types of music and I 
work on a lot of different projects and not everything is, I don't have the same methodology for everything that I do, but I think that, um, you know, as I said, I, I learned a lot from scoring and I, I it made me approach uh, composition a little more, a little differently in when, when I look at a score, it's more, it's like problem solving. Um, right. I, you know, and um, I can, I can look at say an animatic and look at the time code and say, okay, a cue has to start at this certain time and it ends there and it ends at this other time. So it's say it's two minutes, 26 seconds long. Um, and then I have these certain beats I have to, you know, at, at 57 seconds, there's um, a reaction shot and then pace picks up. It's, you know, one minute, 26 seconds until one minute, 37 seconds, then it drops down. There's a bit of dialogue. I've got to come out a bit for that to let that in. And then, um, and then, then um, there's an explosion and then there's a, then it gets really sad at the end. So I've got a structure there and I, then I think, okay, what key is it in? What's the, what's the tempo? go so then i have to you know solve that problem you know it sounds very gratifying honestly yeah so um and it took me a while to realize that that's you know to refine it to that approach um and uh and then i might have to do that 15 times in an episode um and um so i found that that has that that approach has, has sort of crossed over into the rest of my music too. I mean, um, yeah. I, I don't, I know there's been times in my life where I, I have a blank canvas and I sit down at a blank canvas and go, what's it going to be? And something unfolds, but it's not, I, you know, things within the composition unfold and I surprise myself, but normally I go in kind of with an idea of what I want to do and, um, and a structure of what I want to do. And, um, so, um, you know, and collab- you know, it's interesting to collaborate and with, you know, in recent years, um, the Steensland thing was exciting because I wanted to hear what he would bring back, you know, what he, how he would respond to what yeah. I did. And then he would send me things and I would respond to them. Um, because, you know, and we don't really know each other, to be honest. Um, uh, I've, you know, we've maybe spoken for, you know, a total of 45 minutes in our life. Right. Yeah. And, um, we've had, you know, exchanged emails, but, um, but our, all our communication has been musical, you know? Um, and, uh, so I, also as someone who is a solo composer and a solo artist, and I normally work alone, um, it's a, discipline of me to, you know, work and let someone's ideas in and, you know, yeah. I know where to push and where to pull and stuff. And then I've been collaborating a lot in the last probably five or six years with Simon Haynes, um, who has a group called Fridici Bachi. And um, I've worked on his last, you know, the last few Tradici Bachi albums, um, sang on a couple of them and we've, you know, and composed co-composed a few tracks on that on those albums and we have a several other projects when when i um performed live with my zordox project um he was the other person performing with me and um 
and we've worked on a we've written a whole album's worth of material for the female voice which we're trying to um trying to pull together a different singer on it every track and we're slowly piecing that together so um so there's a lot of different you know the the, the and when when we work together we usually sit around a piano um yeah. and start with that and sign you know and i'll have an i say i'll have an idea of a direction that we want to go in and he'll play some chords and i'll put, sing some melodies and we'll start to piece it together and it's and it, and it's pretty fast i mean we can have you know we can have the bones of a song together in an afternoon you know and usually a pretty good one too um but then it can take a long long time to flesh out the arrangement on that and you know um and um <clears throat> i've been <clears throat> trying to think about <clears throat> what i want to do with the next fetus album for years now yeah and because i i feel like it's i feel like this it's the end of um this chapter with fetus and um i and i I don't really want to repeat myself, I, but I, you know, I know that I have the building blocks of 40 years of working as fetus. Um, but I also want to surprise myself and I'm ultimately, I hope to record it with an orchestra, but it's tough for me to, to pull out like where I want it to go. And I have a few ideas, but it's, um, um, the more, the more, other projects that I have, then I get satiated. I mean, I don't feel yeah. like I need to write song, songish songs with fetus because I've done so many of them with Simon and I don't feel like I have to, you know, I've got Zordox where I exercise all my um, electronic kind of desires. And, yeah. um, and then, um, and one of the reasons Manorexia has disappeared is because I have these other solo projects, Color and Nocebo and, Silver Mantis, and that that those supply the juice that used to Manorexia. I used to use a Manorexia, and the reason there's no Steroid Maximus albums is because all my Steroid Maximus albums ideas go into Archer and yeah. Brothers, um, and then um, and so you just, you just drain your projects dry, you know, and then you go well they turn into something else and they evolve, you know, and so what's next with fetus? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I really feel like I want to pursue this operatic um, direction and, um, and then some other things. And um, so who knows? Um, but I work on music every day and, um, and I chip away. I nibble at things. If I, if I feel like I go down a blind alley, I start on something else or I work on artwork and, um, and, um, and then slowly things start to emerge. And at the moment I've got maybe seven or eight albums on the boil. Um, wow. So uh, yeah, I have a hungry legacy to feed. Yeah. 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 It seems like, uh, like you uh, respect and understand posterity, which is something I've uh, debated with many, you know? Um, yeah. Well, I want to make really good quality things and I want them to, to have, have um, gravity and I want them to have, you know, longevity and it's nice when people discover things that you did 30 years ago and yeah that was me i discovered fetus probably 22 25 years after after your first record so yeah yeah which is pretty cool yeah i Thanks. found it through uh uh trent Reznor's wikipedia page so oh, i wow. found it yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the Thanks, time trent. You were on there yeah mm. 
Uh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for talking. That was, yeah, that was no awesome. Problem. You're a very insightful man. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. I got a lot of uh, music to listen to now. So that's always okay, good. 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 Okay. Well, thanks. Uh, send me, send me a link when it's done and I'll, uh, and I'll uh, put it on my social media. That would be great. Cool. Yeah, I will. I'll send you an email. Okay. All good. right. Thank you, Jim. Okay. Thanks. See you later. See ya.